up. Boys will be boys. Boys don't cry. Be a man. Man up. Man up. Man up. Bros before hoes. Bros before hoes. Be strong like be a strong man. Be strong like a man. Be what women be want. Be what women want. Be what a woman want. Be a provider. Be a provider. Bringing home the bacon. A lone wolf. A lone, lone wolf. The strong, silent type. Strong, strong enough, enough for strong a man. Strong enough for a man. You smell, like, you smell, man. Like, smell like a man. You run, throw, hit, play like a girl. You're listening to Masculinity Redefined, an open and honest discussion with a goal to increase awareness and change the narrative of the harmful gendered behaviors known as toxic masculinity. I'm Kiana Michelle, and today I am your host. Today we will be discussing the way in which the LGBTQ plus community is directly impacted by toxic masculinity. We also have a guest, Samuel Joseph, who will talk us through his experience with toxic masculinity. Sam, do you mind introducing yourself? Hey guys, I'm Samuel Joseph, um, also known as Sammy J, and I'm a social justice warrior who discusses a myriad of things that involve interdisciplinary matters for everyday life. What does being a social activist mean to you? Well, that's a really loaded question. Um, I, I can start saying that like on social media, I try to essentially like implement a lot of conversation in regards to like my following. And a lot of my following consists of people that I've grown up with for the most part. So me having my um, separate experience from them, it just pushes me to introduce them to a lot of experiences that they're not privy to for the most part, being that they don't identify with those communities. My job is really a lot of starting conversations and presenting multiple like perspectives for whatever topic may be discussed at the moment. And also just taking like outside um, news sources and or just like media headlines and bringing that all together to basically facilitate change. Okay. So you use your social media platform to make people aware of topics in which you feel as though they might not be aware of. Yes, precisely. So through your experience, have you found that at times you feel like you need to present yourself as quote unquote more masculine in order to fit in? Or has your experience always been um, just making sure that you're living your reality. In my experience, I, I couldn't even be masculine if I wanted to. And and when I say masculine, I mean masculine in, in the socialized sense. I was never like, you know, that aggressive. The only time I'm aggressive like is when I'm competitive and like when I'm competing, that could just be for anything. But no, like even before like I was open about my sexuality, I was just always a very effeminate kid. Like I was raised by women and I liked everything about femininity, just not wanting to be romantic with somebody who is feminine, i.e. women. How has toxic masculinity impacted your personal life in terms of gender expression? So me personally, I express my myself. I, I guess I identify as genderqueer. Um, pronouns are still he and him for the most part. But um, because I um, express more femininely, a lot of the times uh, I'm mistaken for like she and her. And... The clothes that I like choose to wear kind of vary. Like they vary from a lot of, from like men's wear. And more recently, I've definitely stepped into like wearing a lot of women's wear. So pieces that involve like skirts, like dresses, like blouses, like I'll wear that. Also because like it looks great on me, by the way. When I started to get into more women's wear, like my mom had a problem with it. And it's understandable because like that's just her experience, like coming from like Katie, like 
they didn't do that that cross-dressing and i hate to use that term yeah there's an icky connotation towards it but for the most part like cross-dressing was just unheard of and i think like for her in her mind she probably like relates cross-dressing to like transgenderism which is like not my walk per se it's just really just me intermingling like what works for me and like what i like and it even boils down to like the basic things such as my grooming habits like i'll get my eyebrows done my hair is grown out so like i do a lot of like I do, a, I do various hairstyles and um, I do like braiding extensions that you see a lot of black women do. So a lot of that has been a nuance for her. And there has been like a constant challenge in trying to kind of normalize it, especially like within my family. Like at first it started at home, but then like when I started to show up to events that, that um, involved my family, they also kind of like took problem with it. Like not openly, like some of them probably come to me, pull me to the side or like talk to me, call me on my phone. And I just have to reassure them that I'm just wearing whatever I want to wear and I can't do that because I'm a human. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of things within women's wear and men's wear that belong to the opposite, like, right? Like heels were created for men originally. At the end of the day, there just were a lot of things that originated in like the opposite sector, but then got translated to be for this side and so on and so forth. One thing I've realized is even when you see men in Victoria's Secret, how people automatically assume that um, the guy must be shopping for his girlfriend and no one ever takes into account, like, what if the guy is just here because he wants to wear this? Or like, what if he just wants to look at panties for his pleasure or for him wanting to... um, maybe start getting into these type of wares because I feel like people oftentimes when we see like when we see these spaces like Victoria's Secret, Pink, we associate them with women, but we never associate a man just being there for himself neither. And it's interesting because I've even seen it go as far as like if I'm going into Victoria's Secret, I've seen guys like kind of question if they should go inside of it. Like, oh no, I think I'm gonna stay out here. And I think that shows that one, they're afraid that other men might see them and might deem them as less masculine or even as far as just like not wanting to be associated with women's wear. It's like, oh, that's a girl's space. Like I'm not supposed to enter it. And I think that it's interesting because even like as a woman, I'm guilty of sometimes like looking at a guy who's in there and automatically associating that with a guy being there for his girlfriend and not ever taking into account that he might just be there for himself also. That's so true. Like I completely agree with that because at the end of the day, like, there are a lot of men who like, who have, like, underwear fetishes or whatever, like, you know, who like to be in lingerie. And a lot of the times, they don't even have to be, like, queer. Like, they could just be, like, heterosexual men who just have that type of, like, niche for the most part. And to flip it, like, there's never really a deal made um, when it comes to women who step into masculine spaces because again there's an expectation that okay she's probably shopping for her boyfriend because women like shopping and or if she's shopping for herself then it's all right like you know it's fine like because men i feel like masculinity is always inviting but femininity is exclusive in a sense where it only explicitly belongs to this entity but with masculinity women, men, any creed could step into it and it's fine because like that's like where the power struggle exists for the most part. Like you could walk into a woman could walk into a men's hat store and the salesperson probably said so she could even say the hat is for her. And the salesperson being if he's a man or a woman probably would probably sell it to her with no type of like bias or attitude toward just like that experience or that situation specifically. 
But yeah, and there's also this like obsession with like hyper masculinity in the queer community as well, where there's a desire to kind of pass as heterosexual, like with it. And I think like that's something that's very damaging just to our like social construct within that microcosm. Do you mind defining hyper masculinity for us? Um, hyper masculinity for me is the implementation of like masculine ideals in a sense, like like hyper aggression, like just things that aren't always conducive to the way that we flow as human beings as individuals. Yeah, hyperaggression. Um, what are some other topics that you would say fuels hypermasculinity? Well, earlier I definitely spoke about misogyny and that everything that is spewed from femininity um, or womenhood, if you may, is less than in a sense. Like so that all the ideas and ideals and qualities that come from femininity is just less than masculinity because of just like the history of things, like people probably like the structural things of like men feeling like, oh, I'm masculine, like I'm strong, like and the femininity being associated with like feeble and weak, um, and emotional and irrational in a sense. I think that that's what can be spewed from hypermasculinity, which then makes that which then like sets the tone for like how society as a whole feels about um, men that present femininity and how they can be feeble weak. With hypermasculinity, you have your, you have misogyny, you have um, homophobia. I think like those are the two main things that work hand in hand. I, I had to come to realize this like post high school, like when I graduated high school and college, when I started to be in spaces that were like college parties, house parties, whatever, I would instantly notice a shift in the behavior of like the people around me per se. Like I can like walk into a party with my friends and like, you know, we're all fine and Danny having fun. But like, I think when somebody clocked me as a queer being, they kind of like distanced themselves a little bit more and, or they kind of gave me like constant looks like, you know, from time to time throughout the night. And in those moments, like they made me feel very um, unsafe in a sense, as if like they were going to harm me. But then in the same sense, I wasn't, it didn't get to that point. Like it never got to that point, but it just made my experience as a party goer very, very like isolating. And because the, the music that they, were, that, that they would also play would kind of perpetuate ideals that are harmful to like queer people. Like I know specifically within the realm of Caribbean parties, um, there are a lot of like Jamaican artists that have said a lot of harmful and distasteful things about queer people. Whereas they're playing the songs in the party and everybody's like, you know, going up in celebration, like, you know, repeating the nastiness that came out of the speakers. And I would just stand there like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Especially, and I would even have to like, you know, look, let them write to my friends and like see that they're also like taking part in this like camaraderie of like homophobia. And it had gotten to the point where I had to like, you know, to my friends, like, I'm not, I don't like this. Like, this is not a thing. This music is very harmful to my existence. Like, this is what takes place at parties. Like when you guys aren't looking and the second, third, and they made my friends more aware to the point where when those certain like, you know, songs came on, they too started to like, you know, stand in solidarity, well, some of them, just because there hasn't been um, a platform for 
queer Caribbeans to speak about dismantling that system within those shared spaces, I just ultimately just stopped going to like Caribbean themed parties because I didn't want to have to face that constant like ostracization when I'm trying to just have fun. And if I do, by the slight chance, go into one of those spaces, I have to go like intoxicated because I just can't, I don't want to be on 10 where my senses are just like highly activated and I'm noticing like, you know, every like glare or every like um, physical like movement from somebody that may or may not feel some way about my existence in that, in that space. So through our conversations that we've had in the past, I know something that we've shared amongst each other is your experience on dating apps. Would you mind elaborating on how toxic masculinity impacted socializing in the queer community? Absolutely. Um, so within the platforms of like Tinder and Grinder, so sort, you have a lot of men that perpetuate this obsession with hypermasculinity, um, and where whereas they don't want feminine presenting men. So they put out these like quick taglines saying like mask for mask, which is masculine for masculine and or no femmes. They'll also like state that like, you know, there's like straight acting or something like that, um, which obviously is this ideal to um, elevate themselves to where to a point where they can pass as heteronormative. And for those of you that don't know, heteronormativity is relating to a world view that promotes heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation. Thereby, like when men are seeing that they're straight acting, they want to be perceived as quote unquote regular day to day heterosexual men, but they're still engaging in homosexual activities. Can you give an example of heteronormative? Okay, so we said that it was um, a worldview in which heteronormative behaviors were the dominant um, expression, right? So when you look at a boy, a baby boy, right? People have gender reveal parties, whatever, and then they say that they're having a boy or a girl. It's a boy. They're going to say, oh, um, okay, he's going to turn into a man. This is is a prediction that he's going to turn into a man and that he's going to present um, as masculine and then that he's going to end up with women and that he's going to marry a woman. So that's kind of like the timeline and or expectation of what a heteronormative male would do. So as I said before, like heteronormativity is wanting to present as heterosexual, right? So then now when it comes to sexual positions in the gay community, there is the existence of um, top, bottom, and verse. Tops are men who are Ooh, how do I explain this in the most PG way? Um, <laughs> tops are the tops are the people who are um, batting. Um, bottoms are the people who are catching, and people who are verse kind of like switch up, so they could do either either or. Quite frankly, um, and within with within those positions, there's there's like whole other socialization of how they should perform in regards to like their behavior. So people expect people who are batting also known as tops to act more masculine and that's where you see a lot of hyper masculinity take place um whereas they want to like you know be very just like stern and like firm and then for bottoms it's, it's normally associated with people who are more feminine and passive um 
and then people who are averse usually um it varies their behaviors vary you're gonna see a lot of men who are averse also be um aggressive and assertive like tops are quote-unquote socialized to be however like it really varies for people who are averse like you just never know but then there's like these but then when the roles are reversed in which somebody who is a top is acting effeminate, they are then kind of like, like shade is thrown towards them and when, in which like they aren't like equated to be the same as men who are masculine and who are tops. Like they refer to like feminine tops as blouses, right? And this is a very like demeaning word in which like it, it puts emphasis on their femininity because a blouse is a female top. And I mean a female shirt. At the end of the day, like, there's just a lot of, like, these, like, cross, like, issues, like, layered issues in which there's a value system in a sense. And then for bottoms, like, the thing is, like, when there are masculine bottoms, they don't necessarily get the same, there isn't a stigma on them like that. But the stigma is that they shouldn't be acting as a bottom, which is basically acting as feminine. So the dichotomies, the dynamics are just too complicated for me to like really get into every little detail but just for the gist of it like that's what occurs and that's like we have a lot of problems with and I think that's like why there's a lot of like fickle behavior in the queer community in regards to like dating um and also like commitment because like people are always just like looking for the next best thing and people are always trying to like fit these very narrow and shallow ideas of like what they're what they want their man to like, you know, be and then what they want a man to be like, instead of like accepting that sexuality is a spectrum, gender performance is expression as a, as a spectrum. And that the whole point of being queer is that we, we get to like, you know, be ourselves no matter what. However, because we are a microcosm born out of struggle and oppression, like we suffer from wanting to fit the oppressive ideas that we came from. So being a Black queer man, how would you say toxic masculinity has impacted you? Yeah, like I've always had to be myself because I think a lot of the times people kind of like told me that I was queer before I even knew what queer was. But the thing is, like in my experience, I've always known of my queerness in, in, in regard to my liking of like men or, or people like who perpetuate masculine ideals in a sense. So that's always been my experience, but I've never felt the need to um, present as masculine, nor can I. But these past few days, I've actually been thinking about it, like, you know, in regard to, in regard to dating, because dating is so hard that, like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, can I even imagine myself, like, butching it up and, like, you know, wanting to be more, like, masculine? But it's just, like, it's just not me. Like, at my core, it's not who I am. And I couldn't even force it if I wanted to. Not that I even want to, because I love, again, being Due to my upbringing, I love everything about, like, you know, being feminine. It's just something that's natural within me. So I can never see myself trying to be masculine for somebody. It's just not a thing for me. I'm glad that you don't feel like you have to change who you are or change um, how you present yourself based off your audience. Because then you just be hiding your identity, which obviously is not fair to you. So knowing your experience now of how it is being a Black queer man, what advice would you give to someone who is probably being impacted in the same ways you were impacted or someone in general who is also being impacted by toxic masculinity? This is just so basic, but my advice would just be to like, be yourself, like always show up as your authentic self, like be vocal. Like when you see other people being affected by it, 
and just, yeah, like whenever you see any um, dynamic and or situation in which toxic masculinity is glaringly clear, I think it's just imperative for us to try to shut it down. Because at the end of the day, like toxic masculinity works in the same way as like whiteness and where it can take over and or um, bring about a lot of like negativity and trauma to people who don't benefit from that institution. When you're visible, visibility is just 100% like my like mantra because when you're vis- when you're visible and like other people are visible, it like creates like a community in which you guys are together and united. And there's a saying, actually our mind the Haitian like natural national flag is a saying on it and it's um l'union fait la force and I think it translates to unity brings strength. And at the end of the day, like that's just what's that's just like what it boils down to, like always being authentic and then surrounding yourself with people like you to basically state that you are here and that you're not going anywhere, essentially. So like find your tribe ultimately. I think also something else we could do, just to add on, is making sure that when we start to raise our children, that we also take into account the way it impacted us or um, what we've seen and how it has impacted other people and taking that into account and making sure that when we raise our children, that we don't raise them feeling as though they have to meet up the standard of what it is to be a man or what it is to be even a woman. Um, Just making sure that we raise our children to honestly grow up being their most authentic self and providing them with the resources in which they can find people they are similar to, um, I think is another way we could even um, give is another advice that we could give people who are being um, impacted by toxic masculinity, making sure that you understand that um, with what you, your experience to making sure that we raise our children to not deal with the same experiences that we dealt with when it comes to toxic masculinity. Can I add that like within those familial dynamics, you could also like challenge those who came before you, like even like, you know, your grandparents, your mothers, your your parents, like a lot of the times like we just think that because they are older, that they're not going to be able to like change their mindset and their framing in regard to how they were raised with gender. So I think being yourself with them as well within that construct also would make it easier if you then translate the same free and open ideals to your children. But that's all I have to add. Very well said. Well, thank you, Sam, um, for being our guest speaker today for our podcast. Really appreciate hearing your perspective. And we also appreciate you being open and honest with us. And we also enjoyed having you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. Thank you for listening to Masculinity Redefined. Our producers were K. Michelle, Jason Carubia, John Zabi, Jacob Miko. Music by Ben Kroll. This podcast was recorded at Southern Connecticut State University. For more information, check out our website at www.masculinityredefined.info.